0: I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been trying to teach to you on Wednesday about predestination and the Sabbath. I've said this earlier that all of the rituals were blotted out. The Old Testament was a shadow. Hebrews ten and one says the old says the law having a shadow of good things to come shadow had a shadow of good things to come and not the very image image is the word icon I gave that to you later it means likeness the real is the New Testament very image it's casting a shadow into the old how in the world can the shadow come second Or come come first. Because it didn't come first. All this was in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. He had chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. That's when He chose us. Shadow is the word skia, it means a shade. So He planned all this in His mind before the world began. And then the shadow is the Old Testament. But the very image is the new. There was a temple in the Old Testament, a temple. There was an Ark of the Covenant. There was a veil. There was candlesticks. There was a table of showbread, the altar of incense, the altar where they offered all the offerings, and the brazen sea. It you, it was a, a labor at first, but when they went into the wilderness they kept multiplying then the priesthood got bigger and bigger so they had to build the sea which held two thousand two thousand baths and that's where the priests would bathe every morning and as they'd offer sacrifice they'd come back and wash their hands and their feet and that was all ritual and that was blotted out with christ when he was nailed to the cross Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, which was contrary to us, it was against us, took it out of the way nailing it to his cross. that is very significant. They had every every contract they had, they acted out their contracts, they called it performance. I sold real estate for years, and when you when you performed a contract you called it specific performance in real estate that means you got the buyer and the seller on both sides to agree completely and then you closed it out and that was specific performance we even have a performance of a contract today well they acted it out when jesus took the cup the the third cup of the passover and blessed it the third cup was called the cup of blessing He took the third cup and blessed it and said, this is the New Testament in my blood. Testament, diatheke, D-I-A-T-H-E-K-E. Anytime you find testament in the New Testament, or you find the word covenant or testament, it's the word diatheke. And it means, it's real simple, it means last, will, and testament and that only occurs after someone dies Jesus has to be dead before they can drink the cup Hebrews 9 tells us that that a testament has force after men are dead so he wasn't talking about drinking the grape juice that night that's what they were drinking he was saying this represents when I die, I want you to drink the cup, and that meant to undergo a death. Same thing as that would be a daily cross. Now, we're over here in Hebrews. I've been trying to show you something on Tuesdays. I was listening to a, um, sounded like a, I think it was a worldwide church of God coming to church today, and he was talking about the Sabbath. And they believe you've got to keep all the laws of the Old Testament to go to heaven. Well, that's all the law is fulfilled. Galatians 5:14, Galatians 5:14. all the law is fulfilled in one word, one word. Even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. All the law is fulfilled in loving your neighbor. And love is the word agape. And that's a relationship between a king and his subjects and a father and his family. This is love that we walk after his commandments. So if you walk in the commandments of God concerning your neighbor, you will fulfill the law. The law came, the Ten Commandments, the first four, one, two, three, four. The first four were about loving God. And the second, 6, 5 through 10, was about loving your neighbor. So if you love your neighbor, you will not covet what he's got. You won't steal from him. You won't desire his wife. You will fulfill all the law. All of the law is fulfilled. So when people say you've got to keep the law, well, certainly we do is the law done away with Paul said do we make void the law through faith yea we establish the law through faith faith is death to self faith that faith and believe my father being an old country Baptist preacher I did not learn the Greek from him he didn't know anything about it I didn't learn the Bible from him he quoted the same six or eight verses every time he got up and then told stories about his family and about his life as a preacher and did a lot of bragging and boasting. And I I got frustrated at 17 years old and began to pray, God, help me find the truth. I heard a doctor of theology preach. He came to our church and all this information came out of his mouth. I, knew, I didn't get to sit under his teaching other than just hearing him and I was turned on to that and I said i got to learn that that was 64 years ago and I found after studying this long preachers don't know nothing they're ignorant now I'm trying to explain to you predestination is the most comforting doctrine don't let let me not forget doctrine is didache d-i-d-a-c-h-e Instruction. It's the most comforting instruction in the Bible. When you embrace predestination, you are comforted in God's spiritual Sabbath. The Sabbath is spiritual. We've gone through the Sabbath. They the Jews could not go anywhere on the Sabbath according to the 16th chapter of Exodus. They had to stay at home. So people who are Sabbath keepers and they drive to a church, they're breaking the laws of the Sabbath. You couldn't ride a ride a donkey. You couldn't leave your house. You had to stay at home. And Sabbath means rest. It doesn't mean Seventh, it means rest Sabaton, sabbaton S-A-B-B-A-T-O-N that's the way it's spelled in the old language there's a spiritual Sabbath what is that about? it's about resting in everything that God's preordained us to go through in order to take us to heaven predestination is about how we are to live we've been predestined to be conformed to the icon to the image of Christ or to his likeness I do not want to do the things I wanted to do 40-50 years ago I'm not interested in being an entertainer I'm not interested in getting rich at 81 years old, I'm interested in going to be with Jesus, and that's all I'm interested in. And I want to... My greatest interest is standing up and teaching. Now, this connects. This this message has been connecting with Moses. Let me see if I can go here and find this... Uh, alright alright no that's not today with Moses this is the wilderness here this is the Sinai Peninsula this is Egypt here here's the Nile River you've got Libya over here right down below Egypt you go to Ethiopia and when moses was leading the children of israel out of egypt they come over across the red sea the red sea goes all the way down to this gulf of suez and they cross the red sea they march down here and they march down to sinai and that's where moses in exodus the 20th chapter gets the ten commandments And he goes up on the mountain in the 20th chapter. He brings them down. And then God begins to instruct Moses how to build the temple and the instruction for the Levites, which was the third son of Jacob, how that they're going to... uh, God appoints Levi as the priesthood of Israel. I keep saying this. I'll go ahead and say it one more time. Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob... Of course Jacob's name was changed to Israel Reuben was his firstborn the firstborn among the Israelites received the priesthood he would be the priest who would be the king and he would get the inheritance but Reuben was Reuben was unstable as water. He had done something that was unforgivable. He slept, had a sexual affair with his father's handmaid, Bilhah. God says, just for that, I'm going to give the priesthood. He was firstborn of Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Long story. In Genesis, the 32nd chapter, 32nd chapter. So God says, what I'm going to do, since you're you're so unstable, Reuben, you're going to find some other people unstable that are believers in the Old Testament. I believe Reuben was a believer. He did some actions that made me believe that. So I'm going to give the priesthood to Levi. That's Jacob's third born. And I'm going to give the kingship. The king will come out of the fourthborn, Judah. Jesus was the Lion of Judah, and David comes out of Judah. And the inheritance would go to Jacob's favorite son. That was Joseph. And that was his eleventh son, and it would go through his second born son Ephraim. Now, I keep saying this, you can find that story in Genesis the forty-eighth chapter, where Jacob crosses his hands and places his right hand, the hand of authority, upon Ephraim's head. Now, what I'm trying what I want to show you is that. When predestination's true because God's predestined to conform by the trials and by the tribulation, tribulation, we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. Without tribulation, people are not going to heaven when they die. Tribulation is the word T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S, the lipsis. It comes from the word Thalibo, T-H-L-I-B-O, which is, the, which is the verb form, and that is the word narrow is the way. So the narrow way is going through tribulation where you're pressured on all sides. So that is God's method of salvation. When we go through the tribulation, as God deals with our hearts and we learn to believe predestination or prohorizzo, God has predetermined a family, a home that he knew. He's produced, he is, this is not what, it's whom he did foreknow. It's, did he know what? Yes, he knew what. How would he know what? He ordained everything. God has declared the end from the beginning and from ancient times, everything that's not yet done in your and my life. If we ever come to that realization, Boy, it it takes a long time to come to that. It took me probably in my 60s, and I had preached predestination ever since I was real young, to realize every hard thing I had gone through was teaching me to forget myself, to crucify Jim Brown. It doesn't matter how difficult the way is, God has preordained that I go through all these things to make me like Jesus. So anything that's happening in your life, known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. What are His works? Everything. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, they work together for good. Agathos, Beneficial it matters not if you get a ticket you're in a car wreck or you break your neck or you whatever you are is for whatever you go through is for your good when you realize that you quit fretting you quit worrying you don't worry the bible says take no thought for your life, take thought, merimnao, M-E-R-I-M-N-A-O, means to be distracted from the things of God, by the things of this world, we get the word merimna from that, M-E-R-I-M-N-A, which is the word, <coughs> over there in the scriptures that says, take no thought, that says, be careful for nothing, be careful, it means to worry, Don't worry about anything. God has got it all plans. When the scripture says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. The thing is, forever is not our word forever. Forever is the word olam, O-W-L-A-M. This is Ecclesiastes 3.14. That word forever means it always has been. And it always will be. It's not our word forever, which means from now on. It means it always been in the mind of God. Always. He's always done what he is doing. It's been in his mind before the foundation of the world. We're bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. How? How? Through sanctification of the Spirit, sanctification, hagios, H-A-G-I-A-S, I-A-S, M-O-S, sanctification, hagiosmos, is a form of H-A-G-I-O-S, hagios, that's the word holy, holy means pure, single you put something in a fire to burn out all the impurities and it becomes one substance you put gold in a fire mixed with zinc and bronze and copper and the only thing that will burn up is the zinc and the bronze and the copper and the the longer you keep gold in the fire the hotter the fire gets And the more pure the gold becomes. And finally the gold will purify and become liquid and it's pure. And it can be poured into any vessel and it will fit the shape of the vessel. And the vessel we are poured into is Christ. And we become like him. The older we get, the longer we live as believers. Now you don't get there when you're young. I'm sorry, but it just doesn't happen. You battle and you fight and you carry on and you don't understand the Sabbath that you're going into is a spiritual Sabbath. Now, let's go back over to Hebrews, the third chapter. I've been talking about this. Harden not your hearts, verse 8, as in the provocation. It's talking about when Israel provoked God. And this is going to connect to the Sabbath. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation. This is a direct referral to when Israel was in the wilderness and when they leave Sinai, Numbers, the 10th chapter, and they make way up to Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh. Barnea. That's right below Israel. Israel is up here. Up here. And right down below Israel is the, on the bottom, on the bottom left-hand corner of Israel. Looking at Israel. Let me say the southwest corner of Israel. If this is Israel, and this is the Sinai Peninsula down here, and then you got the Black Sea here, or the not the Black Sea, the Dead Sea, and you've got Galilee up here in the north, and you got the Jordan River running down, emptying into the Dead Sea. Right down here on this area here, that's this area right here: Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod. Those are Philistine towns but that's the old land of Anak and the Anakims were the giants in the land they were real tall and when they get up there these words all connect God says I want you to go in and conquer these people at Anak now what God calls provocation is when they go into the land for 40 days they spy the land out. They come back, and they tell Moses at Anak, at Kadesh Bornea. They said, we can't fight those guys. They're too tall. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. That's unbelief. That's unbelief because just a few months before, God had destroyed the largest army in the world up to that time, the Egyptian army, took them down into the Dead Sea, pulled the wheels off their chariots and said, now you drive against my people. God killed Pharaoh's armies and nobody could beat Pharaoh in his armies except God. And they're up here saying, we can't go in to fight those people. God's method of fighting is not our method of fighting. He's not going to go up there and argue with them any more than David was going to go out and draw a sword on Goliath. David was an expert with his sling. They could hit a hair's breadth at 50 yards. Those, Those shepherd boys were really good. They practiced all day long. David said, I can fight him. He won't get close to me. So for some reason they didn't believe God and the Bible equates this, calls this provoking God and equates it with no Sabbath, let me put it this way, no rest, no resting that God can fight their battles and that is about us in this life. Everywhere they get, God put something in their way so he could show who he was. So they go back to Kadesh Barnea and say, we can't fight them. And God says, you're provoking me and you're not going to enter into my, all the men 20 years old and upward. That was military age in Israel. I called it draft age. You had to be 20 years old to be in the military in Israel. He said, I'm going to kill everybody from 20 years old, and I'm going to measure out 40 years according to the number of days that you're in there spying out the land. And by the time you leave, he said, no, none of you that murmured against me and that provoked me will enter into the Sabbath. And he was calling the land of Israel his Sabbath. And he does that. He does that in this chapter right here. Look here. And he says here, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, in verse 10. I've read this over and over. There's so much to it. I was grieved with that generation, said they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. I swear, it doesn't say my wrath in the Greek text. It says the wrath. The is feminine gender. It says te, te, or gay. In the wrath, it's feminine. It's not the wrath of God. It says my. My is a possessive pronoun. The is a definite article, feminine gender. They're not the same word. Why is this mistranslated? Half the translators of the King James Bible were Roman Catholics. Lots of compromise. you got to get an enter in your Bible find out what the actual words are. I look them up. How do you learn all these words, Jim? One at a time. I don't look at them one time. I may look at something a hundred times. And on the top line of an interlinear, interlinear, I'll get it in the right in a minute, is the Greek, and the English is uttered. I don't even trust the English of an interlinear. I merely use the English to locate the Greek word, and then I go to the Greek and say, that's what it is. Now. And that is what it is. We have the actual, we have the actual translation from the Greek and we got the Greek text it's called the textus receptus what do you think they got that now so I swear in the wrath of the people why is it feminine gender I'm going to tell you what they did this is one of the best illustrations the evidently the roman catholic translators did not want to say what it actually says let me show you what it says so i swore in tay or gay moo right after that it says moo m-o-u well actually m m that's an m O, and a U is like our U it's an upsilon right here so it says the or that is of me boy that is hard that would be hard for translator to say the or is the anger and the rage of Of a covetous man. Covetousness. And the Bible says it is of God. Moo. Boy, the translators didn't want to say. Their anger in the wilderness, God put it on them. Boy, that really puts a whole new light on the scripture, doesn't it? It's the same thing he said over here in Romans, the first chapter. Not Romans, the first chapter. First Corinthians, the first chapter. First Corinthians, the first chapter. And he says... No, it is Romans, the first chapter. Excuse me. Romans. Boy, sometimes I get myself going the wrong direction Romans the first chapter Romans 1 it's the same thing he says here and the translators they did some some messing around with what they did they evidently compromised with the Roman Catholic translators and he says for the wrath in verse 18, for the wrath that is of God, that's or gay. Why is it feminine? Well, anytime you have the Ada on the end of a word, that's feminine gender. It's always feminine. It's feminine because Revelation seventeen and five says Babylon was the mother of all idolatry she gave birth to it and she was founded on self when they found a plain in the land of Shinar they said let us build a city and a tower and here's our doctrine let us make us a name name is the word Shem it means authority We'll make up our own doctrine. And Shem was God's authority. He was the second born of Noah. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. And Ham and Japheth were not blessed. So Shem was the leader. Second born. Like the second borns were time and again in the Old Testament. And they said, let us make up our own Shem. We don't like him telling us what to do. That's what Babylon, the mother, feminine gender of harlots, was founded on. It was founded on self. So when you have the or gay, it's feminine gender because that's self. That's covetous and rage and anger. And God says that I put that upon man. It says the same thing in this verse here. For the wrath that is of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness doesn't say against in the original text it says epi that's a common prefix that means upon on top of God put this upon all unrighteousness and unrighteous men who hold the truth in unrighteousness God put it on man man Says the same thing over here in the fifth chapter. In the. I flipped too far. Hold on. In that fifth chapter, he says. Wait a minute here. The third chapter. In the third chapter, verse 5. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? It's not taketh vengeance. How they get that out of this? In the interlinear, I'll tell you it. It is the word epipharo, epipharo, God vengeance is the word or gay means to place upon God is placed upon man the or everything that's going on with God including the evil God says I make peace and create evil I the Lord do all these things I have keep. I wrote this paper, and I don't have time to read from it every time I get up. But I got this paper about, does God create evil? And I've got 50 or 100 or more verses about God doing the evil in the Old Testament. Said he would bring evil upon Israel for what they did. And he, but he was going to cause them to do what they did. That's hard to believe because Romans eleven eleven said, did Israel stumble merely to stumble? God forbid. They stumbled and went after all this paganism in the Old Testament so salvation would come to the Gentile. Well, that means that God had them doing all that bell and grove worship which was the same thing as Christmas that Constantine brought in the church. So, is God unrighteous that places... Or gay upon man. That's what this says in the original text. I know that those translators, perhaps even the, the Protestant translators, didn't want to say God put evil upon man. But when you start really believing the sovereignty of God, sovereign means over all. You start believing it. God is over all the evil, all the good, all the bad... I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. And he does everything. People in the world don't want to believe that, even though the Bible says that. The preachers will never deal with it. I have come to a place, I'm going to say the truth. If God says it, I don't care how many men don't believe it. I would love to get all the preachers in Tennessee down here in Titan Stadium and say, if you guys don't repent, you're going to die in your sin and be in hell together. Because they're not telling the truth. With accept Christ as your personal Savior, that's not true. Free will is not true. We're born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God's will. Why don't they believe that? That's John 13 out of a King James Bible. I am just... Put out with the preachers. I got put out with them when I was a kid. I got put out with my father's message. I kept saying, this couldn't be right. Everything that we think of, complaining is against God. Murmuring is against God. God tells us over and over again, do not murmur about what's going on the word murmur is gungazo let me write this down here's the word murmur it means to grumble to complain I have a favorite verse on that G-U-G-G-A-Z-O two G's together is pronounced "ng." Gungadzo. Gungadzo means to grumble or complain. Why does God say we're not to be grumbling and complaining? Because He's ordained everything to be the way it is. If you could ever get to the place where you can accept that, accept predestination, you're predestined to conform to Christ's likeness by going through trial and fire and persecution, and you're supposed to go through it. If your car gets repossessed, you're supposed to have it repossessed. That's going to teach you not to buy a car that you can't afford. It's got to teach you something. If your house gets repossessed, maybe you bit off more than you could chew. Or maybe you just lost your job and maybe God cut the jobs out because of the coronavirus. We know the coronaviruses of God. This is not Democrat or Republican. Forget that. God says, I'll bring pestilence when you're not obedient to my word. I don't want to get into that. That's this Saturday's message. God says, I'll bring pestilence. He brings it. All diseases come from God. What do you have to do not to have diseases in order to prosper in life? Or at least have enough food. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And food and clothing will be added unto you. You got that in the Old Testament? I'll fill up your storehouses, your fields, if you obey me. Now let's get back over here to where we were. Back to Hebrews. Back to Hebrews. The... The third chapter Hebrews 3 Hebrews the third chapter and now let's get on down here I swear in the wrath of the people that they should not enter into my rest that's verse 11 and and what are you saying kata pauses means to kata is down p-a-u-s-i-s is our word pause it means to pause down kata means down or with intensity it means to settle down what was he talking about the rest he's talking about getting all the way to Canaan Everybody 20 years and old and upward, as of Kadesh Barney, is going to die in the wilderness, and they do. God knows how to kill his enemies. Now look here in verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. So he says, you won't enter it into rest. You're not going to enter it into my Sabbath. I keep trying to say this, or I hope you can understand it. You gotta remember cautaposis equals Sabbath. And cautaposis cotaposis spiritual Sabbath passes equals promised land he's talking about enter into Canaan so the Sabbath equals promised land you can substitute one for the other because they equal to the same thing things equal to the same thing are equal to each other wonderful algebra axiom love that so the reason they can't enter is because of provocation, and he says the reason they can't enter this because this provocation is unbelief. And the word unbelief is the word a p i s t i s. It's the word pistis is the word faith pistis is the word faith the alpha privative it's called an alpha privative L-P-H-A P-R-I-V-A T-I-V-E the alpha privative is the first letter of the Greek alphabet when you're looking a word up that has it in your concordance it will say from one one when you're looking up a word in your concordance it'll have to the right of the word a number when you look in your concordance dictionary of the New Testament the first thing in the concordance is one and it says a in your concordance and it'll say from one as a Neg part. What it means is from the alpha as a negative <coughs> particle. What that means, what that means, the alpha is a negative particle, and anytime you find it on the front of a word as like a pistis, it negates the word pistis or any other word it's on the front of only as a negative particle it negates the word gives an opposite meaning in this case it means no faith so they're provoking God equaled apistis. no faith well there's a difference between no faith there's a difference between no faith, no faith, and oligos. O L I G O S P I S T I S. Remember that? Oligos is the word, O ye of little faith. Oligos means puny. But if you have some faith, you can add to your faith, Second Peter 1 and 5, besides all this, give all diligence, add to your faith, in the name seven things, and seven is the number of divine refinements. So, pistus equals provoking God and saying, we can't go in there and you can't beat them either. That's more or less saying, God, you can't beat them. They're too big. Well, Pharaoh's army was the biggest in the world. And God had Pharaoh go down in there. What's so funny? Pharaoh did not go down in between two great big walls of water like you see in the Ten Commandments. No possible way. Because there were two and a half to three million people in the wilderness walking single file or four or five abreast would have taken several days and nights with two and a half or three million people. We're talking about we're talking about Nashville and all of the suburbs around Nashville twice that size. How long is it gonna take that many people to walk down like they got in a movie, there's a wall here and a wall here. Pharaoh ain't gonna come down through there. There was a east wind that came and dried up the land and made it as dry as dust. And that's where Israel, and it was probably, there was an east wind wiped the Red Sea out for miles over there, miles over here. So when Pharaoh goes down in that 40 miles or so area, he gets down in the middle of it. There's a tidal wave coming! He wouldn't drive down in the middle of two walls that were 30 or 40 feet wide, would he? No. He wasn't stupid. He was Pharaoh. So, and any scholar will tell you that. Now, and he says here in verse 19, So we see they could not enter into to enter in to the Sabbath, we'll look at eighteen. To whom swear he that could not enter in to his rest, speaking of speaking of the promised land. The promised land is a picture of heaven to us. And while we're going through this wilderness of life, we're going to go enter into God's eternal rest. No worries, no more. This body, mine's wore out, I don't particularly have any dreams of any kind. The only thing I enjoy life is standing up here and teaching. That's about it. Don't don't want to go don't want to go swimming in a swimming pool. Don't want to don't want to go to the circus. Don't want to go to the fair. Absolutely don't want to go to the fair. Go down the midway. I'd rather somebody say, Do you want me to beat you with a whip or go to the midway? I say beat me the whip. <laughs> Just, I'll take the whip any day. Oh, please don't. Come here, buddy. Come here, pal. I've got a deal for you. I don't like deals. Get away from me. <laughs> I really don't. Now, he's talking about the provocation in the Old Testament. Let's go back over to Numbers. This is what he's talking about. It has to do with us entering into God's rest when you believe in predestination you believe that God's doing everything I don't understand why the Bible can say that God's doing everything I make peace and create evil I've declared the end from the beginning and people say well it don't mean that what does it mean? it means exactly that what is wrong with you preachers out there? I know what it is they're building mega churches. You've got to preach a smooth, easy, slushy, mushy, other Jesus gospel. And that way, and have parties and ball games and pizza parties, we come together to learn the truth. That's it. I've had people write to him and say, Where can I go to seminary? I will you can move to Nashville, Tennessee, move to Hendersonville, and you can come out here and join us every time we get together, and I'll teach you more Greek in one lesson than you'll learn in most Greek classes in a had one guy said he took four years of Greek out here at Belmont. Call me. Said I've learned more from you than I learned in four years out there. It's not as hard as you think. I learned these prefixes, I learned the suffixes, I learned word endings. And sometimes the the stem of the word is the body, like faith is pistis is P-I-S-T is the stem there. P-I-S-T-E-U-O is the word believe. I could not understand when I was growing up why my father would read Acts seventeen: Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. By thy grace, are you saved through faith? They're the same word. One's the noun; whether it's a verb, it's simple. They had verb forms. You got agape. That's walking in the commandments of God. Agape is the commandments. A G A P E O is the verb. You got nouns and verb forms of them. But you don't know that. Have you ever heard a preacher say that faith and believe are the basic same word? One's the verb, the other's the noun. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I never have. Where do you get that? Oh, out of Greek books. I read these Greek writers Mr. Mounts, William Mounts, uh, G. Gresham Machin wrote. New Testament Greek for beginners his book was used in most every seminary for about 50 years I got those in my library at home I grab, people say you can't learn that by yourself well sure you can first thing you do is get your concordance and look up these words constantly and do that for about 30 or 40 years and I promise you you'll get to know them now let's go over here to Numbers This is talking about numbers. We're talking about the people provoking God because they say they can't go up to... I don't know if I want to go through this whole chapter again because I've gone through it. But Numbers 14... Numbers 13 is where God tells them to go up and spy out the land and they come back and say, we can't do that, they're too big. And we're like... Well, it says there in in, uh, verse 33, There we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which some of the giants come, which come of the giants, and we were in their sight as grasshoppers. We were little bitty, just insects to them. So they murmured against Moses in chapter 14, verse 2. Every time you find the word murmur, It means to complain. They're complaining that God brought them there and said, Moses and Aaron brought us out here to die. Have you ever been in a place in your life and you didn't seem to have any answer? You thought, God brought me here to die. Well, if you're a believer, he didn't. All you need to do is be obedient to his word and he'll give you food and clothing. That's what he promised. In Matthew the sixth chapter, take no thought for what you eat, what you'll drink, or how you'll be clothed. It's talking about food, clothing, food and clothing, and drink. Don't take any thought. Marim Don't be concerned about it. Seek the kingdom of God. E O. Seek the kingdom of God in His righteousness. And all these things, not cars and houses, all these things is food, clothing, and drink. We will be supplied. But we don't believe that. All they had to do was seek God's will when they were up there in the land. Now, in this 14th chapter, they were murmuring against Moses and Aaron. They said, we want to kill them because they brought us out here to die when you are complaining and griping and you want revenge, vengeance or you are angry at the world and you have Orge O-R-G-A-D-A O-R-G-E and you got all this covetousness and anger and revenge in your heart and you want a Makomai M-A-C-H-O-M-A-I that's one of the words the servant of the Lord does not strive we had our word macho from that how hard is that to remember not hard at all Is not macho means you want to fight the servant of the Lord does not fight we don't get bit out of shape over everything we're not supposed to are we we're not supposed to be envying envy Erithea, E R E T H E I A. Erithea, I love that word. It means to have a faction over here that's plotting against the leadership. We've had so many people come in here that plotting against me. Jim Brown, we're gonna get rid of you. How can you get rid of me when I started the ministry and we're a corporation and I'm the president of it? You can't fire me. It's it's crazy, and there's a story to that corporation. We are incorporated. It's like I've had so many young men coming here. And we're going to rule the roost here. No, you're not. I don't even get mad at them anymore. I say, look, if you want to fight, go down the street. Okay, I, I don't want to fight you, and you can't do that here. The best thing to do is just say, you got to go. Because you can't straighten a man out by arguing with him. Have you ever been arguing with somebody in your youth, and every one of us have? And all of a sudden, the other guy who is so hard-headed says, Well, I see what you mean, that, that he's never happened to me. <laughs> and I know it hadn't happened to you either. You don't ever, people don't ever, people that are thick-headed don't change now now let, let me see here so the Lord says well let me read this verse this word murmur means to complain they were complaining verse 2 murmur means to complain or gripe means to grumble to murmur against God and they murmured against Moses and they murmured against Aaron and said you brought us out here to die These men of Anak are going to kill us if we go up there. They have forgotten who God is. So God says here in verse 23, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has another spirit with him, Caleb and Joshua, the only two that are over 20 years old, said, we will go fight those those people at Anak, the Anakims. Same thing as the Gaza Strip today. It's the land of the Philistines. And have followed me fully, him will I bring into the land, whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. There the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. Tomorrow turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congreg- congregation, which murmur against me? Means to complain. If God led him there, do you think he can take care of them? If God has led you where you are in life, can he deal with your situation? As human beings, we think, i got to fix that. i got to punch that guy up. I gotta sue him. I gotta make sure he don't do that to me again. You don't have to do that. What do you do? Give it to God. You rest. Rest in what God is doing. If God wants revenge on him, God says Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Vengeance is the word. Decisis, D-I-K-E-S-I-S. It means to de- dike, write, ek out, write, decay, write out something. God says, "I'll do that." You don't do that. Nobody here has been. Nobody connected with this ministry has been more vengeful than I have. But boy, I was young. God had to get me older and beat me up a long time before I got it in my head that he takes revenge. What do you do? Well, the Bible says, give vengeance its place. Let it happen. You walk away from it. That's what we do. We don't get even with nobody. We don't fix it. We're not supposed to. Is that what Jesus did when he stood before the Pharisees and they said, Why don't you talk to us? Don't you know that we got power to release you? He just looked at him. Wouldn't say a word. Stood before Pilate, and Pilate said, Don't you know I got the power to release you? Pilate had his mind made up he's going to crucify Jesus. And Jesus is going to talk? He said, You don't have any power given you except to be given my Father, which is in heaven. That's all I've got to say to you. I'm here to die do it it was planned by God so they provoked God when they murmured against him now I want to show you something I was going to try to get to last week over here in the 20th chapter of numbers how much time to have Mike Maybe I can get through this chapter. They're still at Kadesh Barnea of a time to get to Numbers twenty. In this chapter, in this chapter, Moses, Moses does something really bad. Moses provokes God. and he does it, we already understand that provoke is A-P-I-S-T-I-S. There's a situation where Moses has no faith. In this chapter, Miriam, Moses' older sister, dies. And in this chapter, Aaron his brother who is two years older than him three years older than him A A R O N, and Aaron dies in this chapter and there's reasons I believe that they die Miriam has provoked God by murmuring against Moses and that's his sister these people murmur against moses and moses provokes god and aaron provokes god cuz aaron gets involved in a golden calf when when moses goes up on the mountain to get the law over in the book of Exodus, in the 32nd chapter, and the people think, they think, Moses has been up there so long, and so many days, he ain't never coming down. So they go to Aaron, and they say, make us a golden calf. We'll read about that. But let's get to this. Now they're still at Kadesh Barnea. This is where they're murmuring against God. They don't want to go in and fight those men of Anak, the Anakims. These men of Anak, they were, in all probability, they were they were Goliath's ancestors, because Goliath was of Gath. That was another city of the Philistines in the land of Anak there. It was a little higher than Ascalon there. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month, and the people abode in Kadesh. They're still in Kadesh Barnea. They haven't left since all that murmuring back in the 13-14 chapter and Miriam died there that's Moses' sister and was buried there you know why I believe she died I believe God killed her because over in Numbers the 12th chapter she's murmured against Moses as their leader because she don't like something he did and this will be kind of convicting with some people in Numbers 12 Numbers 12 here's what Miriam did Moses' sister and Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses oh man that's one thing you don't do because of the Ethiopian woman whom he Had married. Moses was an Israelite. He was a Levite. He was a son of Levi. And he had married an Ethiopian princess. She was a black woman. And so they're murmuring against him for marrying this black woman from Ethiopia. This is kind of funny. People, the KKK took hold of those verses where God would say, "Do not go in and marry these pagan wives. Give not your daughters to these pagan women or pagan men, and don't take their daughters for your men. Don't let the don't let the Israelites marry." unbelievers it wasn't about black marrying white it had nothing to do with that nothing had to do with truth marrying a lie that was actually the sons of God marrying the daughters of men daughters of men of men To be a son of someone, those were not fallen angels. I don't want to get into this right now. There's so much to it. To be called a son of someone, you had to be doing the will of that father. Fallen angels were not doing the will of God in heaven, they couldn't be sons of God. When the sons of God looked at the daughters of men, sons of God were the descendants of Adam through Seth. This is Genesis, the fifth chapter. Adam through Seth down through Canaan, Mahalaleel or Enosh, Canaan, Mahalaleel and then Jared and then all the way down to Noah uh, Enoch Methuselah, Lamech and then Noah and then Noah and Noah had these sons Shem Shem, Ham and Japheth Well, sons of God were the blessed of Genesis five, marrying the daughters of men. In Genesis four, that was Cain's lineage. Sons of men were unbelieving Gentiles. Daughters of men would be the sisters of the sons of men. That was the unbelievers. Cain did not trace back to God, but Adam did. So, sons of God marrying daughters of men is not, and they produce. Giants. The word is not giant. It's the word Nephilim. N E P H I N E P H I L I Y M. Nephilim. I Y M is always is always plural in the Hebrew. Nephilim means bully or a tyrant. Let me tell you, we got bullies and tyrants all over America. They're Baptist preachers. You go in and tell them predestination's true and, and Christmas is pagan, and they'll tell you, we can't have that here. You need to leave. And they're bullies and tyrants. That's truth. They've married truth to a lie. Besides that, if sons of God marrying daughters of men were, were intermarrying races, that's stupid. God constantly told Israel, don't you go in among those pagans and marry, intermarry their daughters or their sons. The women will stay at home, teach the children son worship while the husband goes out to the field. Truth marrying a lie was what it's about. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be. In the days of the coming of Son of Man, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. To give in marriage means to marry two things that don't belong together, truth and a lie. If that was happening during Noah's day, then we've got to have some giants in the land that will intermarry with believing women. And the giants in the land are the NFL, the NBA, the... World Wrestling Federation and the Watusis, tallest men in the world. So my wife is four foot seven, so they got to be running off with my wife, Mary. It's stupid. That comes out of Legends of the Jews by Ginsburg, where they said these giants were intermarried with women. That's a Jewish legend. You preachers that preach that. You need to get the Jew. Legends of the Jews. They, these giants were said to be like 48 L's tall. An L was so many inches. I looked it up. I looked an L up in the dictionary and it'll tell you how many inches it is. Therefore, the giants were over 11,000 feet tall. That is dumb. Anybody's preaching that, John MacArthur, you preached that. I hope you don't preach it anymore because it's not true. If it happened in Noah's day, it's got to be happening today if we're close to the end of time. It's got to be women. So when they cohabitated, they produced bullies. It was the descendants of Cain and believers marrying the believers descendants of Shem. What it was. Now, where was I? Look here at Mary and what she's doing. Because he married us, I got a lot to say about this. When you read Josephus, Josephus was a historian back, one of the earliest historians back in the days of the first century. Josephus said Moses was a Soldier in the Egyptian army when he was raised in the household of Pharaoh. And that when he went to war, he was this tremendous warrior. And when they went and fought against Ethiopia, an Ethiopian princess saw him fighting and she admired him so much, she said, I want to marry him. Now, he had married Zipporah. That was in that second chapter of Exodus. But the Bible doesn't speak of her as being an Ethiopian. So they're upset because he marries this black woman. And God says, this is by my appointment. you can't correct me. Let's read this. And they said, hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? That's his sister and brother. Did he just talk to Moses? Yes. That's all. Hath he not spoken also by us? No. Forget it. Even though Moses was tongue-tied, he said, I'm a man with a thick lip. I stutter. I can't talk. God says, Aaron will be your prophet. He'll speak for you. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses, unto Aaron, and to Miriam. Come out, you three, unto the tabernacle of the congregation. Come to me, God said. Oh boy, how would you like God to say that to you? And they three came out to the tabernacle and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam and they both came forth and boy he's fixing to ream them out good and he said hear now my words if there be a prophet among you I the Lord will make myself known unto him in a vision and I will speak unto him in a dream and only to him my servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in my house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, nobody else. Even apparently and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses, brother and sister? Can you imagine God's anger at Miriam and Aaron? I believe that's why he kills him in that 20th chapter. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Aaron and Miriam. And he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle. And behold... Miriam became leprous. It was her idea. Boy. White as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam. Behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, this is big brother Aaron. Aaron, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us wherein we have done foolishly, wherein we have sinned. You're God's prophet, not me, not Miriam. Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed when it cometh out of the mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee, after they'd gossiped about him. That was unbelief on their part, wasn't it? And the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, that's something that they would do. Should she not be ashamed seven days, let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and after that let her be received again. And Mary was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward the people removed from Hazaroth." and pitched in the wilderness of Paran. now go back to the 14th chapter and god kills aaron in this chapter too for doing some crazy things you would think being that close to moses being a brother and sister they would know that god was speaking to him only the bible says that in the last chapter of deuteronomy he was the only man that god spoke to face to face that had to be jesus pre-incarnate because he was the i am of the old testament he said he was do i have any time mike 16. let's keep reading here in verse verse two there was no water for the congregation and they get crazy and they gathered together against Moses and against Aaron. They've been murmuring against him since day one. You brought us out here to die. Huh? Chapter 20. Chapter 20 of Numbers. And the people chawed with Moses. Chawed is the word, Rube. That's an old circus term, R-U-W-B. I've said this before. It means to wrestle or fight. I've said it before. Anytime a circus help is in trouble, if you're at one of them little booths, all he does is holler, Rube, and everybody else comes running to him. Fight. They charred with Moses. They fought with him. And spake saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. In the 14th chapter, they say, Let's elect another leader to take us back to Egypt. They got plenty of melons and leeks over there. I don't know why you want melons and leeks, but that, that was food to them. When our brethren died before the Lord why have you brought us up to the congregation of the Lord into the wilderness that we and our cattle will die here? You talk about no faith. They gripe about God from beginning to end. Wait a minute. I think that's what we do when we're young here, aren't we? We go through all these trials. I keep saying, I'm going to keep putting this on the board. I keep saying we have an inner man and an outer man. That outer man is equivalent to that outer man over there, those people that murmured against God. Paul said in Romans 7, 2 Corinthians, in Second Corinthians, the 4th chapter, Colossians, the 3rd chapter, the 3rd chapter, Colossians third chapter Ephesians the fourth chapter there's an outer man and Paul keeps saying put on the outer man Uh, not the outer man put on the inner man in Romans 7 Paul says there's an outer man that serves the law of the flesh. And there's an inner man that serves the law of God. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it takes God years and years and years of trials and persecution and fire. The trying of your faith is more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried by fire. And God is going to put you through this fire for year after year after year and burn out self and pride and what you want and that's exactly what he did with these people in the wilderness he said all of you that are 20 years old and upward you were able to fight and you didn't go and you provoked me through unbelief I'm going to put you in the wilderness till you, till I kill every one of you off and he did that that's why you get to the book of Deuteronomy they're all believers Deuteronomy comes from duo D-E-U-O and nomos, nomos is the Greek word law. Duo means second. It takes two witnesses. All through the Bible, you can find that over in in Numbers, the thirty-fifth chapter, the two witnesses. Deuteronomy, the seventeenth chapter. Deuteronomy, the nineteenth chapter, you find the two witnesses to confirm anything in Israel. And Deuteronomy is the second law. And it confirms things he said over Numbers and Leviticus and Exodus. He's confirming that. It's the second witness. And what God's got to do is burn out that outer man. You won't completely get rid of it. When you get to be an old man, you'll have a, like me, you'll have a thin veneer of self. And you don't want to serve it as much when you get older. And God will get rid of those desires of thy youth. Remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh. when thou shalt say, I have no more pleasure in the days of my youth, and I don't have any. At 81, you don't have the pleasure of your youth anymore. I don't want to go out on the lake in a boat. I don't want to ski. I don't do anything. Just sit around and rest. That's about it. No do you get? That's the way you feel. So God is getting rid through trials and tribulation and persecution and fire. So all the troubles we go through, we can be thankful in everything and everything, give thanks in everything, everything. Give thanks. To believers, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Everything. Sometimes I have a pain up here in my back and it won't go away. I guess I need to go to the doctor. I just put it off. So I'm thankful for it. I'm just thankful for everything that happens. If I have a car wreck, if I get a ticket, I'm thankful. I say, Lord, you slowed me down because if you get a ticket i've said this so many times i can't count if you get a ticket your life is altered 15 minutes or 10 minutes at the very least and you're going to sit there with that police officer and talk to him back and forth for at least 10 minutes every step of your life will be altered because of that and you can get down the road two years later and say such and such happened it was the will of God, but not without that ticket. It, you have to have everything that happens happen. He, our God sits in the heavens. He's done whatsoever he hath pleased. None can stay the hand of God or say to him, What doest thou? We can't talk back to God. He's doing it all. Let's look back at this. And they charged with Moses and spake saying, Would God we had died... Did you bring the congregation out here so us and the cattle would die? Verse 5, Wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed. Nothing grows here. There's no figs here, no vines. No pomegranates here. We're in a desert. What are you doing bringing us here, Moses and Aaron? Sounds like us in our daily life, doesn't it? Why have you let me come to this place, God, I want to pray for all the good things of life. Prayer means to bow to the will of God. It don't mean to ask God for anything. What about the word ask? Whatsoever you ask when you pray, believe, you receive. Ask is a conditional word. Aiteo. A-I-T-E-O. That's the word ask. It comes from, we get the word A-I-T-E-M-A. is the same word that Pilate used when he said, I find no fault in him. Boy, that's a legal word, isn't it? I tell we receive the things that we ask if we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing. What pleases God is not when we ask for stuff. Aresko is the word pleasing. A-R-E-S-K-O It means that, well-pleasing. What pleases God is death to the flesh. Death to this outer man. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Oh, how do you how are you living sacrifice? You have to have a daily cross, die daily. Death does not mean annihilation. Thanatos, T H A N A T O S means separation. The world will separate from you when you tell them Christmas is pagan, Easter is pagan, God doesn't love everybody. You tell them that, they won't like you. That's the way it is. Let me keep reading here. Did you bring us out here to die Moses and Aaron? That's kind of the way we think when we have a hard time when we're young, isn't it? Why have you done this to me, God? He hasn't done it to you. He's done it for you. So that count it all, joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience and let patience have its perfect work. Perfect teleos means complete. God's completing you. Boy, we look at some of the things that happens to us and we say, how can this be the will of God? I look at things I went through in the late 60s. I didn't think I could live through those years. I thought, I'm going to die. But I didn't. I look back now and I say, thank you, Lord, for taking me out of that world I was in. And it was a lot of hospital stays and near-death experiences. And I'm so glad I'm not the man I was then. Aren't you glad of that? I'm glad I'm not Jim Brown at 35 years old I was crazy <laughs> I think most 35 year olds are crazy neither is there any water to drink Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly into the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and they fell upon their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared unto him what is the glory of God that's Christ I'm not going to go through that. That's Jesus. That's the I Am. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, I'm going to go through this next week. I can't go through it right now. Too much to it. Take the rod and gather thou the children, the, the assembly together, and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock. There was a rock in the wilderness. Do you realize how big a rock would have to be to give three million people water. He didn't just strike a rock and a stream come out like a fountain, a little fountain. He had to strike some huge rock and something came out like a river because you can't feed you can't quench the thirst of two and a half to three million people in the desert with a little stream of, even a big stream of a water fountain. it take a lot more than that. He must have struck a big rock and whoo, out gushes this river. But what is God telling him? Speak to the rock. He says, that's all I want you to do. Moses thought about Exodus, the 17th chapter, where God told him to strike the rock but God didn't tell him that here he said you speak to the rock before their eyes and it shall give forth water and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock so thou give the congregation and their beasts drink Moses took the rod from before the Lord and as he commanded him And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, you rebels. He's mad. He wouldn't have called them rebels if he wasn't mad. Moses is angry at the people. God didn't tell him to be angry. He said, Talk to the rock. That's it. And Moses lifted up his hand and with his rod... He smote the rock twice. God didn't tell him to do that. You would think that Moses would do exactly what God told him to do. He's with God in the wilderness. The Bible says he is the only one that God ever spoke to face to face. And the water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their beast also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron. Because you believe me not, Moses. To sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, boy, this is hard. Moses, you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given to them. You're out of it, Moses. No going into the promised land. That's it how tough can it be here's the man that was he was 80 years old when he began his journey into the wilderness he was 120 when he got to the promised land but he didn't need to go in his heart is broken this is the water of Meribah it means Meribah means quarrel or provocation Because the children of Israel strove with the Lord and he was sanctified in them. Moses was mad at the people because they're fighting with him from the start of this chapter over no water. And God told Moses, speak to the rock. He goes, I'll hit that rock twice. you you watching me. He lost his temper. I don't understand this. I looked at this for years thinking why God he spoke to him face to face he was the only man that ever and you would think Moses would do everything God said that shows you how you can be a great man of God and fall and Moses sent messengers from Gadesh unto the king of Edom thus saith the brother thy brother Israel thou knowest all the travail that hath befallen us I'll show you next week where Moses begs God please let me go into the promised land and God says no and don't you talk to me about that again you understand Moses that'll show you just who can fall everybody didn't david fall david committed adultery and murder god forgave him but david had problems the rest of his life how does a king have problems through his children and that's where it came i'm out of time let's pray father thank you for truth i don't know what to ask you for lord just give us strength to go through what you have us going through you are truly a great god let me not fall let me continue this ministry open up doors lord there's a lot of giants out there in our way you conquer them i can't supply our needs Fight all of our battles. Give us strength to go through whatever trials you'd have us to go through. We'll give you praise for everything. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I'm right in the middle of this story with Moses. I don't know how to finish it up. Just It really would take me years to finish it. But it's, I really love... These Old Testament characters, a lot of them are my friends. Some of them are my acquaintances. I've spent years with them, and I love some of them. And some of them I don't like so much. ooh. Day, <laughs> Andrew, how you doing? I'm making it. You're making it? <laughs> well, yes, I am. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. This our day. We, we were talking, and we were talking about anniversaries because we was wanting to where we was in other we should celebrate our wedding I don't have any complaint about that. I don't see that tied to. Uh, that's something personal with y'all, All right? Okay. Uh, I don't. I've never celebrated anniversaries. I just don't celebrate anything. I celebrate Jesus every day. I talk about Him all the time. I talk about the Bible constantly. I talk about it everywhere I go. Well, it's good to have you come. It's a ritual. Oh, yeah. Come back and oh, see us. Well, I was, we were just trying to figure it out. That's, a, that's, that's yeah. a lot of... You can do it, just don't make it. That's a lot of information. Oh yeah. We don't really you, nobody. I, I, yeah. Yeah.
1: I love the
0: I love the Word, Word of God. So. I just love it. Well, it because we all of quite it quite just then. it just clicks together. It does. All the old oh. testament clicks with the new. I've spent my life studying it. Well shows. I've had some bad years and I've had some good years. I had some bad years when I was young and I was trying to